We are uh, blessed this morning to start off with a new sound system. It's under process or in progress or under construction, however you want to think about it. I don't think we're going to have any glitches. It's really high tech. It's awesome. There's rechargeable microphones. We don't need batteries anymore. It's digitalized. Uh, don't have a bunch of knobs back there, so Rich gets much less stress and anxiety. And that is my good news. My bad news is this clipboard. Uh, we were notified at the church office this week that T.C. Ham has had some health problems. Unfortunately, um, that has resulted in him telling us that he's not available to teach this spring. Uh, we do hope we can see him again soon, but unfortunately he won't be back. So I thought it would be appropriate that for those of you who know and love T.C., you would just jot a note. This is a small card, the one I picked up. So I also have a piece of paper behind it if you want to write a longer note or, or share some other thoughts. But I think we should certainly wish him the very best. He's been a great <coughs> teacher for this class and uh, someone uh, I think we all know and love. Uh, and with that, Michael. Okay. The Lord be with you. It is good to be with you again this week. I see some uh, new faces, I mean, I know you all, but new faces, um, maybe haven't been here in a little while, just reminding you where we have been and what we are doing. So last year, we did a year through the Bible, right, genre by genre. This year, we are now that we've read through the Bible or barely skimmed the surface, now we are trying to say, once you read the Bible, what do you do with it all? That's the work of theology. As our guide, we are using Daniel Migliori's Faith Seeking Understanding, an introduction to Christian theology. This is our guide, but I, I may be the only one, there may be another, only one other person in the room who has this book, right? So you don't need it. It's not a required. It's kind of just behind the, the, the scenes, right? It's going, the work that's been going on. So, so far, we have covered the topics of the task of theology. What is that all about? The meaning of revelation, right? Little r revelation. How do we know what we know about God? We had uh, Dr. Keith, actually it was the task of theology. That was uh, what T.C. Ham had come to teach about. I taught on revelation. How do we know what we know? Keith Lloyd came and talked about the authority of Scripture. Then we had the rabbis come and teach about creation and then the last two weeks, we spent talking about the triune God. What is uh, the Trinity all about? That mystery that cannot be understood. How do we understand it? Uh, and today, we're moving uh, into a conversation about providence and the mystery of evil. So, providence of God and mystery of evil. And just very broadly, um, well, actually, before we jump in, Let's pray. These are hard, heavy topics today, and we certainly need prayer before we jump in. Gracious God, we give you thanks for the gift of this day, the gift of your Spirit with us. We pray that as we here gather in your name, we, that we might know from the tops of our heads to the bottoms of our toes that you are indeed in our midst. You are with us. Help us to recognize you here and help us to know that... Um, in good days, in bad days, in the darkness, in the light, you are by our sides. No matter what, you are with us. 
Help us to see your hand at work in our lives, in all creation, in the big and the small ways. And help us to see you in the hard times especially. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so most generally, um, as we start talking about creation, uh, we have to then figure out, you know, we, we get all the way up to creation, but then what? What do we make of creation? And that's what we start to talk about providence. How is God actually interacting with the, the world, right? Is God like a clockmaker that he said it and forget it, forgot it? No, right? Um, you remember that old, tele- what was that, the... Um, was that like baking machine? It wasn't a crock pot. It was like the rotisserie. You remember the set it and forget it? Nobody remembers this? Set it? No, it was like the mid-90s. It was like one of those infomercials. Jack, Lo- Jack Laline, is that his name? I don't know. Jack Laline. Yeah. Set it and forget it, right? I always think of that when I think of this topic, right? Because there are some out there like theists who believe that God just created the universe and sat back and, I don't know what, didn't do anything with the universe, just made it and went on his way. But uh, Orthodox Christianity doesn't believe that. Orthodox Christianity believes God is indeed invested in and involved in the universe all of creation in ways big and small. That's the topic of providence. But then once we start saying, well, God is involved, then we have to talk about, well, if God's involved, why is all there this bad stuff that goes on in the world? And those are, yes, we like that God's involved, but then why isn't God more involved? And that's the topic of the problem of evil, the topic of theodicy that we will get to. Okay. So this is our guide for providence, particularly providence. Uh, there's more to it as well. And then this book I've recommended from the pulpit before, which I think is phenomenal, called Pathways in Theodicy by Mark S. M. Scott. And I've got several quotes in here from that as well. The, the title's in there if you're wondering what it is. It's there in your packet. Okay. So we start off... Um, you may you may think you're in the wrong class because we're starting off with the confessions. This is not the confessions class that I taught a few years ago, um, but it's a good place to go. Whenever you have questions of what is what is this about? What do we Presbyterians believe about X, Y, and Z? Uh, a great place to start is the Book of Confessions, particularly the Catechism, the Heidelberg Catechism, which asks the questions and then doesn't just keep asking questions. It gives you the answer, right? So um, while we're doing this, I would invite, if you have a Bible, we're going to do, do some digging deep into these scriptures um, that are associated with this. So while I read the, the answer, question and answer here, could I, could I assign some uh, verses? Greg, would you be able to find Acts 17.25? You see it's the number one right there. Could I get you number two, Hebrews 1.3? Jeremiah 5:24 Who else wants to read here? Anybody else want Pam you want to read back there? Sure. John 9:3 And somebody else want to read Proverbs Proverbs 22:2 Lindsay We'll come to you. We'll come to you Rachel. Okay. So again this is Heidelberg Catechism. This comes from um Europe 16th century. 
um, and it is question and answer format. So the question is, what do you understand by the providence of God? A good question to ask when we're talking about providence. What is providence? The answer from the Heidelberg Catechism is, the almighty and ever-present power of God, by which God upholds, as with his hand, heaven and earth and all creatures, and so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Hmm. Do we have any do we have any trouble with that? Yes? Tell me why. Okay. Things should be on. When bad things happen, is it yeah to uh, good people or bad people? Um, they come as a result of people's choices they make in relation to all creation. Okay. Hmm. So over time, human beings as a group or as in individuals have made all these choices up to now. And so it wasn't that God wanted that man to hit me as I walked across the street. Mm. I made a choice to walk in an unsafe place. Mm. Therefore, bad stuff. Okay. God did not make that bad stuff happen. But what he wants is what I do with that. Mm. Mm. Okay. Thank you, Rachel. Does anybody else push up against this definition of providence? Was that a hand? No. Roger? No, he's not doing a very good job. If he's take, supposed to take care of everything right. and do it all? Yeah, right. He's not, he's not doing a very good job in Roger's words. So, um, because things need more taken care of? Is that kind of the, the idea there? Yeah. So this is, from the very beginning, you can see how the conversations of providence and evil are closely connected. That's why we're addressing these two together. It's hard to separate them because you start talking about how God is involved and you say, but why isn't God more involved? Or, well, God makes all things happen. Well, did God make that thing happen? And that, you know, so you see that they're, they're intertwined from the start. Can we look at these uh, few scriptures here, um, starting with Acts 17, verse 25? Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. 
as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. In him we live and move and have our being, right? Um, elsewhere, Paul says, uh, all things hold together, right? In, in God, all things hold together. That The idea is that without God's willing it, with, if, if at any time God stopped willing creation in, into existence, creation would cease to exist. There is this perpetual willing for creation to be, and all things hold together because God wills it. And if at any time God says, I'm going to forget about it, creation just is gone, right? So there's this idea of, of tensionality and continual, perpetual uh, involvement and insistence upon creation's being. Um, Kent, were you the one who had Hebrews 1? 1, 3. One, three. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the, of the majesty in heaven. Okay, so the idea here is that, right, we're talking about, starting to talk about Jesus and how there's this sense of ruling over. It's not just creation I'm going to create and be involved in, in little ways. It's the idea that God and Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rule over creation uh, and have authority over, over the whole of creation. Um, great. Jeremiah? They do not say to themselves, let us fear the Lord our God. Who gives us autumn and spring rains in the season, who assures us of the regular weeks of harvest. Great. You want to do the other one too? The Acts 14. Acts 14, 17. Yeah. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown us kindness by giving us rain from heaven and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. So as we look around creation, we consider... I just want to take it now. As we um, look around creation and consider how God is involved, we can attribute those sorts of things like rain and sunshine and drought. All these things we can say come from God. But sometimes, at a certain point, we say, is that really God? That's where we come back to the evil question. Um, so everything in all of creation. Yes. Uh, shall we continue on with John 9, verse 3? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Great. So we're going to look at this probably next week in a little more depth. Um, I think, well, I think, yeah, I'll just take it. We'll look at this uh, probably next week in a little more depth, uh, maybe the end of the end of the class today if we get there. But the idea that uh, Jesus is healing a blind man and the disciples are, are saying, well, who sinned that he was bl born blind? His parents? It's like, no, no, you don't get this. You don't get this. This is um, so that God, God's, Glory may be made manifest in our presence, right? Um, so there's a question of 
why really was he born blind? Um, so it's, it's something to be said uh, to Rachel's point earlier that you, would have, you had the choice of walking out into the street. But I don't think that person had a choice of being born blind. So that's a, that's a different kind of bad. That's a different kind of you know, bad thing or evil thing happening. But... The baby that was born blind um, was suffering from some kind of defect in his uh, inheritance, mm -hmm. and all of those things can be traced, traced, mm. traced back to where maybe not the right choice was made. Mm. Perhaps. <laughs> Ignorance, perhaps. Perhaps. Yeah. perhaps. Okay. Um, I think, Lindsay, did you have Proverbs 22, verse 2? Could you read that for us? Sure. The rich and the poor have a common bond. The Lord is the maker of them all. Okay, so, so again, God is involved in all things. Um, but then we, as we hear this, I hope I'm not the only one who's then wondering, Really? Is that, the, is that the case? Even even the scriptural affirmations of the providence of God. Really? Is that? Does God make some people rich and some people poor? I don't know how I, what I do with that. How do you square that with the rest of your understanding of God? That's hard to do. Um, we'll we'll address some of these things as we as we approach theodicy. But let's stay in providence. What is, what else is God doing? Here is question 28, and we won't dig into all these verses for sake of time, um, but here are these, these are there for you if you wanted to go there. So how does the knowledge of God's creation and providence help us? Again, creation, providence, right, uh, in line with one another. We can be patient when things go against us, thankful when things go well, and for the future we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that nothing in creation will separate us from his love, for all creatures are so completely in God's hand that without his will they can neither move nor be moved. Okay, what is our reaction to this? God, does God allow something to happen to one of my children and uh, not to someone else's? If it's within his hand and he's full knowledge, I wonder why. Sure. Of course. Right. Why, why do bad things happen? Why do bad, hap bad things happen to good people? Right? Carol? I think that's just to te test our faith. Mm. Faith is... Faith is something that we can't touch, we can't see, mm -hmm. we just have it. And he's promised to get us through things. He's never promised a rose garden. Sure. We gave that up in when Eve took the bite of the apple. Sure. So bad things can happen, but our faith will get us through. So it's interesting because, yeah, so sometimes, especially on television and in some 
corners of the the, the church, uh, Christianity is portrayed as, come on in, life is going to be grand, right? That's the prosperity gospel, right, of Joel Osteen. Come on, give me money, and God will bless you, right? You won't have trouble. Tenfold, right? Or those, uh, there's even, I mean, it, it, gets, it gets worse with other, other people that say, you know, you give us this money, and we'll, we'll send you the, this, there's all sorts of weird stuff out there. We'll send you this prayer shawl, prayer card, and you, 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 you kiss it and send it back to us with $100, and God, it's like, what in the world? Where do you get this crazy stuff? I need a new airplane, right? Right? So where do we, uh, we understand, yes, God is involved in our lives, and sure, God blesses people, but God doesn't promise a good life. If we, as we are faithful, God, pres- God promises his presence. And that's, that is the faithfulness of God. Um, but that's, it's sometimes in the dark night when, you know, you're ch- you just got a diagnosis yourself or your family member. Um, someone just died unexpectedly. Is, your, is God involved? Is God making that happen? Is God doing that to test you? Because that's pretty, some could say, that's pretty cruel if this thing is happening to that extreme, right? God had to kill this person so your te- faith could be tested and made better. That's hard. That's hard to swallow. I, I think there's, there's validity in what you're saying, that, that God does do things to test our faith. But at a certain... Sure. Yeah, and there's a difference in there too, right? Right. Right. He will be with us always. That is the promised presence of God, which is about the best promise we've got, right? God will be with us. Okay. Okay. Um, You've also got there on the bottom of page one, this is from the second Helvetic uh, confession. Helvetic being a fancy word for um, Swiss. Uh, so this comes from Switzerland. Um, all things are governed by the providence of God. I'll, I'll, I'll read through this slowly and we'll break it down. Again, it's saying similar things to Heidelberg, but you know, even similar things, sometimes there's that churn of phrase that really sparks something new in your mind. So we'll look at this as well. We believe that all things in heaven and on earth and in all creatures are preserved and governed by the providence of this wise, eternal, and almighty God. For David testifies and says, the Lord is high above all nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down upon the heavens and the earth, right? So there's that image again of ruling. God is up on his throne, ruling over all creation. And some would say, oh yeah, he's up all the way in the throne, just doing something else, right? But, but there's this idea of involved and invested in creation, right? Again, thou searchest out all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Paul also testifies and declares, in him we live and move and have our being, right? We just heard that already this morning. And from him and through him and to him all are all things. Everything comes from God. Everything? The bad, the good, right? 
So that's where we start to question, once again, those questions of theodicy are coming in. Therefore, Augustine most truly, and according to Scripture, declared in his book, De Agone Christi, chapter 8, the Lord said, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground without your father's will. By speaking thus, he wanted to show that what men regard as of least value is governed by God's omnipotence. For he who is the truth says that the birds of the air are fed by him, and the lilies of the field are clothed by him. He also says that the hairs of our head are numbered. So this isn't just... This goes into, you know, using Scripture and Augustine here, um, saying that there are, from the biggest things to the smallest things, God cares and God is involved. And I'll I'll be honest, um, showing a little my hand here, it's easy for me to, to see God's hand in the big things. When it starts to get into the small things, that's where I have a little more trouble at seeing God at work, right? Uh, like, I go to the grocery store and I get a close parking spot. Was that God's doing? Or I'm cursing, you know, because I have to walk all the way from the furthest parking spot and it's raining. Is that God giving me that parking spot? I don't think so. But maybe? I don't know. Right, and this is where also it comes up into yeah. Scripture says one thing, experience another, but also this butts in this this uh, gets us right up to mystery of God and knowing where is God in all this. And sometimes, yeah, we have to question. Um, right, doubt is a part of a healthy faith. So, but here in these in these from the second Helvetic from these scriptures. Um, yes, the hairs on our head are numbered. Um, a sparrow, if a sparrow falls to the ground, it is your father, you know, not one of them will fall to the ground without your father's will. God is willing this, or God is involved, or God is, we're much more comfortable with God knowing about the bad things or allowing the bad things, but is God doing the bad things? Rachel, let me pass off the mic here. I think often of the man who's standing at the very top of a, of a tall building, mm. and he is planning to jump. But he says to God, I want you to suspend the law of gravity so that I will be safe when I hit the bottom. <laughs> and does God do that? <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. So... Last, in the last few weeks, as we talked about Trinity, we talked about that progression, if you recall, from in the ancient world, and still some in the modern, but it, within the stream of our faith, the most ancient of Jews, right, were probably, before they were really Jewish, poly, polytheists, right? They believed in many gods. And then they moved to monolatry. There's probably other gods, but we just believe in one. Then there's just one. Then ultimately Trinity. But in this progression, it gets really hard when you start to say, well, there used to be all these gods. And so it was really easy to say, well, you know, uh, let's, let's talk about Greek gods for a second. Let's just to use names that we would know, right? Oh, oh, Zeus, he's doing a great thing. But then here comes Hercules and he did a bad thing. 
So we can start to attribute good and bad to different gods, right? But as we move away from polytheism and from monolatry, there are other gods, to monotheism, there's just one, that's when it starts to get really hard. Because if there's only one divine being out there, there's no other being of, of equal power and authority to, to do bad in the world. And so what do, you, what do you make of that? It used to be a lot easier, right? Blame that God. But now we've just got this one, so what do we make of that? So in the process, right, um, in the... Pro- theological progression from polytheism all the way to Trinitarianism, there was also this development of um, a personified evil, right? Who we know as Satan, right? The devil, Satan, Beelzebub. There's all certain names. Um, And because in some ways we need another being to blame, right? Just talking about the progression from polytheism to Trinitarianism, it was really easy to blame another being, and then we just had one, right? Look in the Old Testament scriptures. Yes, there's talk about Hasatan, the accuser, but in the Hebrew Bible, that's not just any person, right? There are lots of people called Hasatan in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible, that are not a, a devil figure. It's really in the intertestamental period between Hebrew Bible and the New Testament that there is this further development, um, some have said potentially from influences from Persia and the like, that there's this uh, further understanding of the devil, further personif- you know, a personification of the devil, uh, an evil, that is to say, and demons, right? Because did you see any exorcisms in the Old Testament? No, none. So what happened between the Old Testament and the New Testament? Something changed, right? And it's all this stuff. How do we explain all the bad in the world? Somebody else is at work. Somebody else is is uh, moving and working in the universe. Um, okay, we'll come. We'll we'll talk more about this a little bit. But I wanted to just give you, you know, we're gonna skip. We're gonna skip page two. It's there for you if you want it. So, I'm skipping to, let's move to the top of three, because I do think this will um, take up a lot of our discussion time. This is from Migliori, and you've got that there. Feel free to follow along. Um, I could prepare teacher notes and that you don't have, but I figured you'd want this so you could look back at it if, you know. And I also need, for me as a learner, I need to see what people are saying. I watch TV with subtitles on. I'm weird like that. I don't know why. So, and they're English. Well, some of them are. But, um, so Migliori, again, this is faith-seeking understanding. He says, being a finite creature includes the possibility of pain, illness, grief, failure, incapacity, and the certainty of aging and eventual death. Creaturely life is transient. It has a beginning and an end. God created a world of people all... um, personality and contingency. I don't think that's right. Um, Both order and freedom, both risk and vulnerability. In such a world, 
challenge, struggle, and some forms of suffering belong to the very structure of life. To wish the world were immune from every form of struggle and every form of suffering would be to wish would be to wish that to have been what? Hold on. Something fell out of here. To wish the world were immune from every form of struggle and every form of suffering would be to wish not. Would be to wish to not have been created. To wish, one more time. To wish the world were immune from every form of struggle, every form of suffering would be to wish not to have been created at all. Also, personality should be rationality. I keep getting... This is when I... Gremlins. No, this is... I'm trying to use that dictation software rather than spending hours typing everything out. And like, it works... 98% of it's great. And I even go through and verify. But, I don't know. It's never perfect. Okay. (laughs) thank you nancy exactly right so um if we if we wished for a world without those struggles without suffering um yeah migliori says it's as if we're wishing we were never created in the first place and we can talk about the garden and the perfection of the garden but isn't there this sense that even in the garden, there was still going to be trouble, right? Not everything can go right. Even if Adam and Eve went on to have children, somebody was eventually bound to get a broken heart, at the very least. Um, somebody was going to get hurt, right? Not everything could necessarily have gone perfect in Eden. We, we idealize Eden as if, ah, it's this utopia. But the funny thing about utopia, what does utopia mean? No place, nowhere. There is no, no, utopia in itself is you, meaning no, topia, no place. There is no such thing as utopia. Carol? I'm thinking mm. that without struggle, we don't know joy. Mm. Yeah. Without, without some kind of conflict, we don't know what peace is and we don't appreciate it as much. Absolutely. Uh, You know, we have a great deal of taking for granted. Oh, sure. In our lives. That's our nature. So without the good and the evil in our lives, we don't know how good it is Mm. or how good it can be. Right. Yeah. If you have a life of comfort from day one, do you really appreciate that comfort? No. Right? It's a lot easier to appreciate when you've struggled. Right? You've had days without. You've gone to bed hungry. You've you know, had your lights turned off. Right? Been evicted from, from an apartment. All those things start to help you. And those are just examples. You don't have to have, that doesn't have to be your experience. But uh, all of those, those setbacks help you to appreciate little good things a whole lot more than you would otherwise. I'm reminded of that, a phrase, uh, just a paraphrase, from Khalil Gibran's The Prophet. Anybody read The Prophet from Khalil Gibran? Maybe back in high school. Um, 
he says he he equates suffering as carving out something in within us but what it carves out is a deep well for joy to your very point and without that suffering we can't contain that joy in the same way oh they sure talk about their struggles when they were young oh yeah and be proud and be proud of it yeah you know uh we started out with nothing right um, a, a promise, and that was it. And our hard work got us here, right. or not? Right. Yeah. Great. Great. Okay. So now we'll come back to providence, obviously, because we talked about how these are intertwined. But I want to go on to really focusing more on the problem of evil um, and particular word that I've probably used a few times today already that you've said, what is that word that he is saying? The word is theodicy. Theodicy. Is this a new word for everyone? Who has heard this word before? Well, you're married to me, so I'm sure you've heard that word before. (laughs) Okay, so theodicy um, is not a word you'll find in scripture. It is a theological term um, it comes from Greek. We get it through French, theodosie. Uh, it, it, it literally means the justice of God. So it, in its narrow classical technical sense, it explores logical strategies to vindicate God from moral culpability for evil. So let me, let's break that down. Vindicate God. So is God responsible, is culpable? Is God the one who's guilty of these evil things? Well, the, the, the whole branch of theodicy is exploring, is God guilty for evil in the world? Um, and there, it's exploring strategies to say, no, God is not guilty for this. God is not culpable. In short, so says um, Milton, theodicy seeks to justify the ways of God to men. Most broadly, it denotes the the attempt to explain or make sense of suffering. And that comes from pathways in theodicy. Um, Whenever you see a quote here that says Scott, that's what this is referring to. So um, there are five essential questions of theodicy. And we've already been engaging in two of these today. What is the origin of evil? How does evil originate? Who is responsible? The nature of evil. What is the ontology or of evil? How, how is it in existence at all? Um, the problem of evil. How does evil pose a problem for theology? We've been talking about that already today, right? God is involved in the world. But could, could, to Roger's point earlier, could, could God be doing a better job of being involved? Should he be doing more? That's, that's a, a question. That's a problem for theology, right? God does everything from the big to the small, but there's lots of problems in the world. Why isn't God doing, helping, fixing those things? That's a problem for theology. The reason for evil, why does God permit evil? What is the morally sufficient reason? And then, we haven't gotten here, but we'll get here at the end of next class, the end of evil. Isn't that a great phrase? The end of evil how will God end evil and or ultimately bring good out of evil? Can you imagine? That's the Christian hope, 
right? There is evil in this world, and we look forward to the end of evil and bad, and suffering, and all those things. So Scott says, theodicy need not address all these questions sequentially, nor does it need to have definite, uh, definitive positions on them, especially since the origin, I love this phrase, as he, this is at the, like, you know, only a third of the way into this book, the origin and end of evil are inherently speculative. What does that mean? We don't know, right? We haven't gotten to the end yet. We're still in the middle of the story. We have an idea of how it's, or we put our faith in how we think the world's going to end, right? How God will come back, redeem all creation, put an end to evil. We have faith in that. That hasn't happened yet. So the end of evil is still speculative, as are the origins. We weren't there, right? Um, in, when Job talks to God and God talks to Job, he says, were you there when I have set the foundations of the world? No, Job wasn't. And if Job wasn't, certainly we were not. So we don't know exactly the origins of evil. So it's speculative in nature. But the complete theodicy being, again, exploring the strategies for how to vindicate the moral culpability from evil, vindicate God, that is, from moral culpability, they should respond to all of these questions. Okay. We are going to... Trying to think through our timeline. We're going to come back to these scriptures because I want us to... um, Let's actually move on to the top of four, and we'll come back to the scriptures. Um, when we ta- we've already been talking about it. We've said a word lots here this morning that we haven't yet defined. And we probably, how many people we've got in this room? We've got about 25-ish people in this room. We probably have about 26 definitions of evil um, because we can all understand it a little bit differently. So I want to just take some time to not try to define it yet. I want to actually try to think of some examples of evil. And Dan, could you help with the mic? And I will be our scribe here. I want to write down for us so we can see and think about, consider what are some examples of, I'll just say most broadly, bad things and evil, examples of evil in the world. So, what do we have? The absence of good. Oh, okay. Oh, that's a good definition. Okay, so we've got the absence of good. I heard Nancy add to that. Um, An example is the Holocaust. Human trafficking, right? both in slave labor and in and sex trafficking. Anybody else? I didn't hear who was, who was that. Pornography. Pornography, okay. Shout them out, people. We can be going all day here. Individualism. Individualism. I like both. But, uh, hmm, yeah, I will write both, because I think they're related. I sh- heard someone else shout out murder. Destruction of beautiful things. Ooh, ooh. 
that's deep, Beth. Look at that. Destruction of beauty. I think I heard someone just say hatred. I'm going to actually pair that with murder. What is it good for? What is it good for? Absolutely Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Somebody's had coffee this morning. Thank you, Dan. Absolutely. Courtney? (laughs) Oh, hunger and poverty. Is that it? Are we done? Is this our concluding list? What was that? Lying and cheating. Lying and cheating. Oh. Is it I E I N? No, it's L Y. Oh. Lying and cheating. We're missing quite a lot. Disease. Now, I want to. All bad and evil. All bad things. All evil things. I want to kind of explore the topic. I don't know. Oh, good. Okay. So, our bad and evil. What's the diff? Mm. I mean, maybe Ebola it would be a good one to keep up there, but, you know. Say more. Com- common cold doesn't belong in that list. Why not? It's not. I don't think it's evil. Why not? It could kill you. So sickness, illness, disease, is it evil? So this brings up the point of it's a spectrum, right? So um, we could say there's like mildly, like not so good. Like there's not good stuff in the world, right? Like getting a parking spot as far away from the entrance as possible in the, the rain. It's not good. But I'm soaked to the bone. I have chills. If it did, I'd be... (laughs) It grows hair. Dr. Beth, come on. Okay. (laughs) So there's not good things in the world. And then we move all the way to really bad things, which I'm going to say is evil. But there's this sense that there is... is, It's a spectrum, but there's also... At a certain point, you step into and you step through a doorway, and it's not just bad; it's also really bad and something that's out of our control, right? Um, so bad is somewhere over here. Now, yeah, it's to Beth's point. There's there's perspective, right? So if like let's talk about disease, right? If someone is a hundred years old and has, I don't know. Name a disease. A 100-year-old person would probably have. Pneumonia. Is that... Give me another one. I don't want to go with pneumonia. Cancer. Okay. Somebody who is 100 years old has cancer. Is that as... I'm just exploring. I'm not making judgments here. Where would we put that on this? Would we put that here-ish? Here-ish? Somewhere in here, maybe. Now, think of a five-year-old with cancer. Is that in the same place? Why? 
feel that we feel that he hasn't lived. Okay. So there's a sense that he hasn't finished his role in life. Okay. So there's this sense that evil and suffering um, can be more tragic, and the tragic nature of it can make it worse. I'm going to take a little sidestep with Go for evil. it. Yeah. Sometimes it's the lack of conscience. It's, it's the lack of um, caring. I've, I've, seen, I've seen some really bad things that people have done and felt no remorse. Sure. Felt no conscience. Sure. Um, the lack of remorse, the lack of conscience, when you do something to hurt somebody else, oh, yeah. to me, is more evil than an accident. So the intentionality the in- behind a bad thing. Um, can- the intent uh-huh. and, the, and the lack of remorse. Conscience. So even if the same thing, let's, I'm, I'm going to speak in, in crude terms for a moment. Say you get into a car accident. It was nobody's fault. It was, you know, there was, it was icy on the, on the road. And just for sake of something happens and your arm gets, you lose an arm. But then someone, you know, you get into a fight and something happens and you lose an arm. Again, there is an intentionality. Someone is inflicting pain and uh, upon you and you, but it's the same outcome, but there's a difference. Isn't that? Feels about it after. Sure. Sure. Having no remorse, having no conscience of, of what, of how bad it is that you've done. Is it better if, is it better if the person has remorse? Yeah, that's not, that's hard to know. Because if you have remorse, you know you've done wrong. Yeah, but you still you still don't have an arm in this crazy scenario that I just came up with off the top of my head. Yeah, right. Ah, it's a it's a perspective. It's a how do you understand it sort of thing, Courtney. Is more evil because there's an evil acting upon the perpetrator mm. as well. Oh, whatever has happened to him or whatever mental disease or whatever he has that is causing him to not have remorse. I, th- I would say that's an intenser evil because there's the added evil of calling evil good. Right. Great. I didn't prompt her. I didn't give her 20 bucks for that because I've never heard her say that before. That was brilliant. I'll give it to you after class. Yeah, from our joint bank account. We have this joke. We always have this joke where we bet each other like gobs of money because, you know, we share a bank account. So I'll bet you $1,000. Oh, you got it. So (laughs) anyways, so that's our little funny thing. So, yes. An untimely death. Sure. How do we know when it says God knows our days? Our days. How do we know if that's his time? And how long we each have. Right. We don't. We don't. We can't sneak into heaven and pull a file and say, how long is Michael Wallace going to live? Perfect. Okay. That's when he's going to die. You know, we, we can't know. And is there a sense of, and this comes into the big theology questions of foreknowledge. Is, does God know in advance? 
or does God predestine, right? Um, is it that the book is already written and we haven't gotten there yet, or there are pages still to be written and we are uh, writing it, this, our story together with God? What about free will? All of these are at play in a discussion of when bad, why do bad things happen. Um, the very top of page four, Mark, let me make one mark here. We need to come back to scriptures, and we'll probably actually do that at the top of next week. Um, top of page four, according to uh, Mark S.M. Scott in his book, he defines evil, or classically defined as the absence of good, right? So that was what Lindsay said, absence of good. Evil denotes the deprivation, corruption, and perversion of the good of creation. Just as darkness is the absence of light, silence is the absence of sound, so evil is the lack or absence of good. So, this is privatio boni, right, is the Latin phrase, absence of the good. That's the best classical definition of evil because um, we don't believe that if, it, if it's not a lack of, that means that if there's something there, God had to create it, right? If we believe God created all things, right, then where did evil come from? This is the origin of evil question, right? One of those five and the topics you have to address in any theodicy. Where did evil come from? Well, if God created the whole of the universe, and if evil has, if evil exists, meaning has being, then God created it. Yes? But the classic definition of, of evil says it's a lack of. It's a place where God's wholeness doesn't fully dwell. Just as darkness is an absence of light, silence is an absence of sound, evil is an absence of the good of God. Does that make sense? This is a, this is a, this is a hard thing to understand, right? You can spend all week just thinking about this and not, not, still not get it. It's a hard thing to grasp. Because we, uh, we've so easily, um, from Sunday school, right, we're taught that there is this divine, well, not divine, there is this evil being, this personified one known as the devil, who from the very beginning in the garden was what? A serpent. Is that what Genesis says? It doesn't. It doesn't. Right? We are, we are, uh, we receive this tradition from the church that this, this snake, this creature, this tempter, is the devil, is Satan. That's not there in the text. That's not how the earliest Jews understood that this is, they just said, here's a snake, right? There had to be some other thing in the world because God can't be the, the one who brings evil. It has to be something else, right? It's almost a vestige from that polytheistic worldview. There has to be some other creature to tempt. But when we think of that tempter, that snake as the devil, it starts to put God and the devil on these equal playing fields. And it also... I mean, we could talk about the origin of the idea of Satan and 
it's, it's really not clear from Scripture what that origin even is, right? I've heard all sorts of things from, you know, an angel of light who decided to fall, you know, who fell from God. Well, God's creation is all good. How did that happen in the first place? And how then all these other angels fell? So something happened in that narrative, in that mythology. How then did evil even come into the into the creation well before the garden if we're if we're entertaining the garden uh as the when it entered into our world there is something before right but is it coming again to this definition of evil is it the existence of evil or the absence of good privatio boni would say it's the absence of good um so we need to be we need to be careful again with our origin story because lots of people, myself included, um, have believed that that snake was the devil. That's not there in the text. Now, later Christian understanding imbued that story with added meaning. Um, have to be careful. Because um, again, who created the snake? Who created the devil, if we want to have a personified being of evil. And what we need to make clear before our time is up here is, uh, I preached on this, I don't know, sometime in the last few months. Uh, I found a terrible image of the devil and Jesus arm wrestling in the sky. You remember this sermon? Nobody remembers the sermon. My wife remembers the sermon. She gets $100. Okay. Um, so there was this, I saw this on, on Facebook years and years ago, and it just haunted me. It's just a terrible idea of theology, visualized theology, that there's this big, muscular, you know, he just left ba- Bailey's? What is it, Bally's? I don't know. I'm trying to be, whatever. He just left the YMCA. He's big, bulky muscles, and he is fighting Jesus in the sky, and they're arm wrestling. And it looks like, looks like the devil's going to win this, Right? In that image, it, it suggests that Jesus and the devil are in equal playing fields. No, that's not the case. And we can't believe that either. It's a lot easier to conceptualize evil when there is another being at work. Now, I agree that there's evil in the world. There are evil forces in the world. But it's, it's almost too easy to say it's just the devil at work because then we just blame blame the devil for anything and everything in the world and just as we can't say all the good things uh, every single good thing well yeah i mean epistles do say every good thing comes from god uh hmm. i don't know every good thing we can thank god for but the kind of does yes but it also um not just for ourselves, but for other people. Oh, the devil made him do it. And there's this sense, um, there's this lack of, yeah, personal responsibility, um, but also a lack of sense of that's the way the world works, right? You can't expect to jump off a building and for God to suspend the laws of gravity. The way that the world was created is this way. This is the world we live in. And so how do we live in it? We have to expect certain things. 
right? We expect that our bodies will fail. We expect entropy. We're breaking down. We, you know, a car is going to get rusty. Someday our bodies are going to fail. That's just the way the world works. We can't, in our present creation, expect to live forever. That's not how it works. Do we blame the devil for that? The devil made me do it. Um, do we blame God for that? I don't think so. Um, but to our earlier point of if everything were good all the time, would we have personal growth? Is it really that in suffering and in our challenges, we learn to appreciate the good all the more? And that without those things, we wouldn't grow personally. We wouldn't, to, to struggle means to grow, right? Um, without those struggles and those challenges and that pain, we wouldn't have that. Sure, absolutely. Dan? One of the things, though, I think that we grow up in is the theology that we live in a broken world, and the world is broken because of Adam and Eve's sin. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the theological struggle that most of us live with, live against, and it's hard to overcome that. Right. And there again, even if, even if we abandon the idea, and I know I'm at time here, even if we abandon the idea of the snake as the devil, even if we go back to what, the, what does the text say, um, there are some in the church who say, well, that's a story. It's an idea of how sin came into the world. It's an, it's an etiological narrative. We're trying to explain why the, why the world is the way it is. And so we have this narrative of Adam and Eve. Well, but if we don't have the devil in this, who do we start to blame? Eve and Adam. And, oh, it's their fault. We, we're all screwed up. It's their fault. We always want to shift the blame. So and, is it the devil? Is it us? Or is it God? Is that really the question you have to throw Come out? back next week and find out the answer. <laughs> I know we have some questions and some hands, but we're at time, and I've got to go robe up. Um, let it, before we do go, let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks again for your spirit in and among us. We thank you for the opportunity to explore these very difficult topics Because indeed, Lord, we do see your hand at work around the world and in our own lives in ways big and small. But it makes us question. It makes us wonder. It makes us struggle to figure out if you are in our lives, why are all the bad things there too? God, we ask for a measure of patience as we we dig into this topic. We ask for a measure of your grace so that we are, don't jump to any conclusions too quickly, but that we rest and we wrestle with the mystery of providence and the problem of evil. Be with us, God, as we go and we meditate upon these things. Help us to forever see your love as the foundation of all that we are and help us to rest in the knowledge that you hold all creation together by your will. For you are our creator. You love us like we can never imagine. You hold us together. You hold us up. Help us to rest in that promise this week and put our hope in you and the ultimate end of all bad things and all evil. We pray this together in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.